Welcome to Take a Moment. I'm Mari Yamaguchi. And I'm Nathan Bennett. We're starting a special three-part series on leadership through crisis here at Take a Moment. And our first episode is going to be focusing on the COVID-19 global pandemic. When we're going through times of crisis, as human beings, we want to look for someone we can rely on, somebody we can trust. And a lot of times, we're looking for empathy in our leadership. So today we sit down with Tony Bates, CEO of Genesis, and just at the conclusion of his first year here at Genesis. And what's interesting to remember is that Tony started his time at Genesis with a call to empathy. It's not something new that he's brought up over the last number of months. It's something he wanted to instill in Genesis as a practice from the get-go. And we're seeing the uh, philosophical benefits of that come to fruition during these times. Absolutely. Empathy isn't maybe necessarily something that people would really gravitate towards as leaders, but as we've mentioned before, it's philosophical, but also, especially during time of crisis, empathy is what's needed. And it's been kind of the guiding force, and you can actually see the benefits of it within our employee base, and then and also how we are delivering our services to our customers, especially during these tough, tough times. Absolutely, and when we talk about empathy, I think it's important to note that it's not just a feeling or a one-time expression of that particular emotion. I think to be effective, empathy has to have a lot of action behind it. Empathy is the first step. And then after that, it's okay, but what do we do? What do we do? to make people feel safe and taken care of. And I think, candidly, Tony's response to the COVID-19 situation within our company has been really fantastic. He has been transparent. He has uh, been communicative. His team has instilled safety throughout our global organization. We sit down with him to learn about his practices through this thing. It's almost like there's no class that a CEO or a leader can take to prepare you for this sort of thing. But I do think that the way Tony has handled this in the face of lots of crisis is uh, we can learn a lot from that. And I think action has been really the key point here as well too. Not only is an action one that breeds worry and anxiety among employees, but also not just dwelling on all the things that are going wrong, but how can we change? One of the things that he talks about is being adaptable and flexible and how that will also help us get through to a new way of doing business and also a new way of interacting with each other. Absolutely, it's a very insightful episode. And Mari and I thank you for listening along and taking a moment with us. Tony, I want to start out by asking you, what have you learned about yourself and your family that you didn't know before? And also, what have you learned as a leader of an organization during this time? For everyone listening, of course, I first want to just start out and say, I hope all of you are safe and well. Unprecedented time for all of us. I, I know that I just had my year anniversary as CEO of Genesis and Nobody could have predicted coming in that we would face something like this. But, you know, to your, to your question, Nate, I think 
first and foremost, I think what I've learned about my family is that uh, they're my my rock and my crutch, you know, as we go through this. I'm sure this is true for many folks. And I think the way I'd like to kind of frame this for you a little bit is the phases of my own personal journey, which probably marry a lot to many people out there, and then think about how that maps to being the leader of a, a company of five and a half thousand employees. But the way I sort of think about what happened in in sort of chronology for myself was phase one for me was kind of denial. And I think this is true for many folks around the world. It was sort of, that's somewhere else. That's not our problem, that, that what's happening with COVID-19. Okay, yeah, it is real, but it's kind of like the flu. And then it hit you, you know, no, no, this is real. And phase two was panic. How is that going to affect my family? What are we going to do about very simple things like supply chain of groceries and so on? And many of us saw these things happen, people sort of mass panicking, you know, cleaning out the shelves in the retail stores and so on. And uh, where I landed, and I think many of us is, no, 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 this is a new normal. There's a normalization phase you have to go through. And I think where it hit me the most was with my son, you know, the, the moment that schools were closed and we were entering a new way of not only working, which we'll come back to, but a new way of living together, a new way of supporting each other. It has opened my eyes in a lot of ways to things that you take for granted that you really didn't realize until until this moment. And, you know, a couple of those is, you know, I did spend a lot of time with my family, but at the same time, and you always try and be present and in the moment, but where you really, you know, so it really makes you think about that. It makes you think about how do you make them feel safe? How do you make them feel secure? But at the same time, how do you empathize with their situation? Because, you know, for my 11-year-old, for example, who is graduating fifth grade coming up, uh, his life went upside down in, overnight. And now what I think that we're in is this adaptability phase, which is, okay, we know it's not going to be the same, but what are the things, what are the values that we need to hold on to as a family? You know, how do we make sure that the social interaction that's gone away could be replaced, not with the same thing, but you can get that same kind of connection, you know, the same connectivity that everyone needs the same downtime the same routine and i think we've reached kind of an equilibrium on that and we can delve into that in a bit deeper but i would relate the same learnings for me as a leader to genesis you know i'm very proud of the fact that we went fairly early in working from home safety first was, was my motto and you know i feel very proud that we've been able to do that quickly we're lucky that we're a, a company that already had embraced some virtual working great collaboration tools but really where I am at today is what is that adaptability phase and how do we make sure that one everyone feels trusted secure know that we've got everyone's best interests truly at our hearts but beyond that is what is this adaptability how is this going to be in the future you know I think part of that is to communicate much more than we did before communicate in a very transparent way share what's on my mind at our human level as you mentioned from my own family and then sort of move beyond that. So maybe if I was to summarize it is recognize the situation where you are, realize it is a set of phases for all of us as human beings, but act decisively through those. One phrase that, that I really sticks with me, and we've talked about great leaders who've influenced me before, but John Chambers always said, you know, you have to deal with the way the world is, not the way you want it to be. And that's really stuck with me through these, these phases that we've been through. When you're speaking of adaptability, 
I'm wondering if the vision that you laid out a year ago when you first came to Genesis, I'm wondering if that vision has changed at all or adapted or evolved. No, I, I think at the highest level of the vision, not at all. In fact, what I would say is it's almost accelerated it. You know, I think about the movement to an end-to-end experience and being much more universal in the way that we engage in those interactions. It's really been accelerated through this, right? Some of it's unfortunate as, as some of the parts of the economy that have suffered the most, retail, hospitality, et cetera, you know, as, as unfortunately uh, many people have had to close their doors, at least temporarily, the need to communicate in the right way between customers and the business or the brands is an all-time high. And the need to communicate in a very personal and empathetic way has just been reinforced, right? Everyone had to go to this new normal and then everyone wants to adapt to kind of things being super quick in terms of new data, ways of changing. And so I think that it's really reinforced the strategy. You know, we've laid out at the company this notion that, look, no change to the, to the strategy. In fact, what we've got to do is fast forward to that future and do it with focus and do it with speed, of course, in the backdrop of a, of a changing work environment. You've mentioned empathy earlier, and you mentioned it again as well as part of the company strategy. Tell us a little bit more about how you see empathy as a differentiator and what it really means to be empathetic and to be an empathetic leader. Yeah, I mean, look, at the highest level, you know, I think it's already been shown that, you know, the more you understand about someone's situation, better you can serve them, right? And that's what we do as a a business. We enable tools to create great experiences for our customer's customer. And just to talk about the industry a little bit, it's been very much an industry driven by efficiency and effectiveness. How do I get you in the queue? How do I answer your message? How do I get to the next one? But at the same time, now more than ever, the more that I can understand what's going on in the situation, whether it's a service call or uh, you know, you're trying to buy, purchase something or a return, the more I can understand where you are and how you're feeling, the better I can serve you. I think about sort of the evolution of our industry, um, not only to give you a much more personal experience, but one that every time you have that interaction or that experience journey, you feel better after than you did going in. And I think that's at the, the root of empathy. And I think that's true for us in the company, which is not only do I want to hear you and make sure that you feel safe, but that you have a great experience. And I think the way you get to that great experience is knowing more and more about an individual situation, what's going on in their lives, uh, and just sticking to that value of authenticity, but really understanding what's happening you know, around the world. And I think this is a challenge for leaders of global companies because COVID-19 in particular shows us that things aren't universal, right? We're very heterogeneous and something may be very different in one country from another. And whilst we need to really be a global player and think about it in a global sense, we have to really understand what's happening locally, culturally, where someone is at a personal level, but where maybe a country or a municipality is in, in their journey. And so Empathy to me is at the root of of everything we do going forward. And this has really brought it to the forefront. You know, I truly believe that leaders that not only talk about it, but practice empathy will come out stronger for their companies. I think it's increasingly going to be the future value as employees go into companies. They're going to really want to know where you stand on this point. 
and they're really going to want to seek to make sure that it's true not just a set of words but the way you act the way you care about your people the way you give them some flexibility in their lives especially in times like this but i think in general it's really a, a probably the most critical thing I remember when Mari and I first started this podcast, it seems like a long, long time ago. One of our first interviews and one of our first episodes was a, a Genesis customer who was a supervisor in a contact center. And we talked a lot about how she acquired employees and what was important to her. And it was fascinating even back then. She said, the one thing I can't teach anybody is how to be empathetic. If I can get the sense that this person has empathy, I can teach them everything else they need to know. Mm. And it's interesting that that is becoming even more important today. Yeah, I think that's very profound. But what I would say, whilst you can't necessarily teach it, I think that technology is giving us the ability to aid in that journey. And I really, really feel for the agent community. There was a way of working. There was a way of onboarding. There was a way of training. And it literally got turned upside down overnight right now in the midst of the crisis that we're dealing with. And so it's sort of a double whammy, right? Look, at the one hand, we, we are all expressing that probably the most valuable thing an individual agent can do is really express empathy. And at the same time, they're also dealing with this massive change in their own lives, right? They, most agents had a fairly standard setup with a set of tools. Those tools went away. They got to deal with outside environments. But what I do want to come back to is I think that technology is allowing, not that you can inherently just teach it, but it is giving us the ability to give more history, more context. One of the things that's really been great at Genesis is that, you know, we can provide context across historical interactions and different channels. And it's just, think of it as a, an aid to it that then can help craft that conversation or that interaction. So I think tech's going to play a vital role, but I think for that to really manifest we also have to think about that in the way that we design going forward. I, I like, you know, if you think sort of what's happened in the evolution of technology, it, it moved often as sort of a, an asset, something to give you productivity. Then we start to talk about design thinking. I think even for us at Genesis and the industry at large, we need to start thinking about e-thinking, right? Empathetic design thinking. I actually think we're going to start to see instead of D schools, which you hear a lot, you'll start to think about e schools. Because there is some science behind it. Obviously, it's a soft and a hard skill. But I think that good news is there's a recognition that this is super important going forward. And there's technology that's coming, you know, in the form of machine learning and AI to help you with this. Tony, speaking of the technology, I'm wondering how a company like Genesis, a cloud company, is best suited to help customers overcome the obstacles that they're facing today and in the future. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that we saw a couple of amazing things happen. So as this shift happened, it happened pretty quickly, as you know, right around the world. I mean, we're sitting here today, but it's only been sort of three months since sort of the early phases of changing the whole way that, that we think about working and how that translates into the customer service support arena. And I think there's three things we saw. The first thing was how quickly can you just adapt to get me working from home? And the good news at Genesis is whether you're on-prem or cloud, we could do that with you. And we did that very rapidly for many, many of our great customers. What I can tell you though, it was much, much easier and much quicker when you are on the cloud. So that's sort of number one. And I think that opened people's eyes. It's like, wow, you know, just much simpler onboard, one click, I can get agents up and running. Number two, we saw that as that started to happen, 
they needed super flexibility. You know, just think about in, a, in the world that we play that, you know, a lot of folks who have large scale outsourcing businesses in the Philippines or in India or Colombia or wherever it is, and they just couldn't get that infrastructure spun up quick enough. So to serve their, their customers, they need agility and flexibility. And that's what the cloud is really about, right? You get the ability to scale up and down your resources really quickly. And we put these rapid response offers out into the market they basically said, look, if you need excess capacity, we're there for you. We'll do it you know, under, under 48 hours. And so we saw a tremendous amount of folks move that way. I think the next click of that, though, is once that, you know, back to this normalization phase, once people kind of got comfortable with that, the next thing is, well, what can the cloud do for me beyond that? Right? How can I augment some of the basic capabilities to give a better experience? And I re really love to recount very large customer we uh, that's one of our customers in australia uh, you know, on the banking side and they you know were so grateful that we could get them business continuity but in talking through with it i said well what are the types of requests you're getting and he said you know look obviously a lot of it is around sort of financial stability they have small business loans and did they qualify what was really stunning was that in these moments the questions that were coming were across the board right they found that connection with their client, their customer. And that customer was asking them not just questions about, you know, their bank statements or their mortgage payment and so on. They're asking questions about how do I get tested? Do you know what's going on with, with schools, et cetera? And so it created this whole wave that says, you know, I need to be a full service partner for my customer in this moment. And so that wave is like, how do I augment that with things like bots and AI? and the work that we've started to do with companies like Google. So I think that it also opens the eyes to the next layer of what the cloud can do, which it can really extend that experience to the customer. So, you know, and that's this adaptability phase that we're in right now. You know, we're very lucky that, that our software is configurable and we were able to pretty much get everyone up and running, but there are some learnings. We could support a lot of our customers, but their infrastructure wasn't ready. The environments aren't right. Some of the folks that were working in sort of large scale call centers, you know, they're three, four, five to an apartment when they go back home. So how do you make that better experience given the constraints? But the clouds really, I think, you know, we're already on this transformation has, has really come to the forefront, I think, of customers' decision criteria um, and it's ease, flexibility and innovation that they get from it. Interesting. We were on a call with a uh, another customer and they were saying just how much they were able to actually see their ROI over COVID because they had switched to cloud and they had accelerated with Genesis their whole business transformation as a whole to go to cloud. And what I liked what you mentioned is it's also accelerating how we are able to provide continuing human moments for, for our customers and for even our Asians experience as well. I uh, wanted to shift over to talk about Leading through crisis was on a Q&A with a former retired four-star general, General McChrystal, and he had compared the time that we're in right now to almost going into battle and leading through a war. And some of the things that he said are important when you're leading your troops, as far as like having that trust across the organization, having a common purpose, and then also having this shared consciousness when you have a global company with folks all over the world, right? And wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how you've been leading 
through crisis for an organization that you said, you know, we're 5,000 plus people and we're spread out so far across the world. But how do we still keep that sense of culture and that sense of we still have each other's backs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's candidly, it's, it's difficult when we started this. I, I had a lot of anxiety about mainly around the safety of, of our employees. And I, I think what my approach was first and foremost, gather data as best you can. Make sure that you're, you're informed as best as possible and then make quick, decisive decisions, but communicate them clearly and transparently. And I think that is really important. One, it's a way to make sure that everyone understands that, including me, that we're all dealing with this. Whilst it's different situationally at this highest level, we're all in a very unprecedented and uncertain time. So number one is get a kind of a sense of what's going on. Number two is don't take too long to make difficult decisions. A leader, you know, his job is to find the right balance of vulnerability in the sense that, you know, that we're all in this together, but at the same time, people can't deal with too much uncertainty, whether it's decisions we made about work from home policy, whether it's decisions we made about kind of what we want to do fiscally, um, whether it's decisions we've made around getting offers out for our customers. So, you know, it really speaks to the way I think about leadership in general, which is the notion of we fly in formation, we can debate for a while, but then when we decide we go as a team. Point you made about McChrystal, you know, at the end of the day, there's so much going on on the, on the ground and there's so many different nuances, but the leader's job ultimately is to decide and get the team to come together, to take action. What's been incredible at Genesis, and I think we're very lucky because what we do touches so many people, right? The, the tools and the software that, and solutions that we create, they end up touching you know, literally billions of people through our customers. And so it was a very easy thing to sort of unite in a common mission, which is get our employees safe and I'll get our customers safe fundamentally, right? get them in a place that we could enable business continuity. So I think that was a, a helpful thing. But to me, leading through this change is, is getting inputs, making decisions, and communicating them quickly and regularly. It's a, I would say, you know, just as a learning for me, it's a balance, of course. You want people to feel safe and feel in a good place, but back to dealing with the way the world is, not the way you want it to be. You, you want to be balanced in that view. You don't want to be too optimistic and you don't want to be too pessimistic, but you want to be real. And I think, you know, that's the balance we've tried to strike when we thought about some of these tough decisions that had to be made. And I also think about this as a paced approach as a leader. It's not a one shot and then you're done. This is a long journey. I know it's an analogy that's used a lot, you know, but we really are in a marathon. And what I tend to think about more than anything is, both for myself, but also for the company is that we don't want to hit the wall. We want to be able to go to the end, whatever that end is. We know that end is going to be different today, but we don't want to pace out so fast, feeling really good about the decisions we made only to come up short. So I know that's a bit abstract, Murray, but that's sort of the way I've been thinking about it. One of the things that sort of happened through this process is that we were very early on, we formed a, a task force. That task force has come together cross-functionally and internationally. But some of the decisions that have to be made can only really be made by the leader because they have cultural impacts across the whole organization and they need to be communicated at that level. Some of the decisions can be made local 
And so finding that balance has been sort of a unique experience. And I think it speaks to a little bit of what happens in these large scale uh, military commanders. They have to find the balance of what's really happening on the field versus the classic uh, sitting in the room, moving the pieces on the board. And for me, what that means is trying to get some signal from the local leaders out there. I, I remember speaking to one of our great leaders, Gwil, who runs APAC. It hit me that it's very different there. They're further along the journey than maybe we are in the US, even as we see today. And understanding that, respecting that, and not just having a blanket kind of approach is really, really important as a leader. We want to communicate clearly, but we do need to respect what's happening on the ground in the different places. And I've tried to put that into our approach so far. How do you keep people from losing sight of what matters, the big picture? I think sometimes in a time of crisis, right, like we kind of forget to see the forest for the trees kind of thing. So how do you kind of keep people focused on what matters? It's always about kind of keeping that North Star and, and the purpose and mission that we have for the company. We're blessed, I think, that we were able to get together as a company in person uh, around the kickoff before some of this came to pass. And I think back to that moment, and I'm very gratified that we could do that because it sort of aligned us going into the year. So what was nice is we had that masthead for everyone to kind of rally around. But to your point, you have to keep reminding people of that. You have to keep reminding that that is what Genesis is about. It's about creating great experiences for our customers, customer, and it's about being there for them as they go through this just as much as it is about what we're doing. And I think it's a pulse, right? It's a constant pulse of that balance. It's also reiterating, in our case, you know, for those listening, we have this notion of one genesis and celebrating the one genesis moments so that it keeps people focused. Yeah, we can get through this together and that we need to make sure that folks realize that sort of the greater good to the mission when we come out of this, we'll look back and say, wow, it was great that we were able to support customers in the way that we were. We were able to be on the right side of the cloud transformation as we talked about. And that sort of reaffirms it. So it's, it's a balance and it's, the way that you communicate and the way that you use those as sort of your guardrails so you don't, don't get too tactical, but recognize that everyone is going to be tactical from time to time in their own life because it's just natural. It's just so much change that we're all dealing with. Tony, we've got to pause here and take a quick break, but stay with us. More to come on Take a Moment. Hello there, Josh Reed here, producer of Take a Moment. Thanks for tuning in to the first part of this new three-part series on leadership during crisis. As we learn more about the challenges leaders face in today's crisis through the experiences of Genesis CEO, Tony Bates, we want to remind you that we here at Genesis are doing what we can to make this new normal a little easier for you and your customers. For additional information, please check out the resources below on genesis.com. Also, be sure to tune in to next week for our part two of this series, where we sit down with our new Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer, Eric Thomas, and we discuss the importance of equity in the workplace during these trying times. We also want to wish you good health and safety in the future ahead. And to our loyal listeners, thanks again for your continued support of Take a Moment. And if you're new to the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share.
And we are back with more Tony Bates. Tony, I've got a question for you. I really admire Genesis' early response to keep the employees safe and informed. And I, I know that we have all felt like that. We're fortunate enough to be able to work remotely, but it's different. We were like, oh, this is a cool thing. We can all work remotely. Maybe we should do this all the time. But it feels different for me as an employee. And I'm wondering what your perspective is as the leader of this organization. How do you think uh, we're doing? Is this the way it's going to be forever? What I would say is this isn't the new normal, but the normal we knew before will for sure change. And just as context, you know, we, we have been a pretty virtual company. So you know, sort of that short term step. You know, about 25% of our workforce in North America, for example, was already virtual. And so we put some good practices around it and and we're comfortable with the technology of collaboration and and using that in the way we work. But the way I like to think about it is I've really felt that we want to create more flexibility and, you know, again, come back to empathy, recognize that people have things going on in their life and they need flexibility. But this is never the way you'd run that kind of phased approach to get to be more virtual, right? If you think of this as Oh, a grand experiment of how it would work to be virtual fully, for example. I don't think you'd run the play this way because it's a false experiment because we aren't in a normalized approach in our own lives, right? Many people are still shelter in place or very restricted uh, social distancing rules. Many people around the world, businesses aren't open, uh, you know, entertainment isn't available, sports events, concerts, etc. So I think we want to be a little bit careful and you, you hear a lot of rhetoric in the industry that, oh, wow, you know, we're all so much more productive. And if you measured progenesis, I think we are more productive, but we're also locked down. And what I, I take away from this is really that same balanced approach, which is I think we've, we're learning a lot, but it's a bit intellectually lazy to say, okay, it works, because it's really not in the way that I think that you can really measure it. And it's not just about productivity, right? It's about the energy. It's about the the culture. It's about the things that make you love your job. It's about how do you, in this time frame, interact with your manager? You know, some people need different things in, in their support and their mentorship to others. Uh, and so one way I think about it is that what COVID-19 has done, especially for Genesis, because of the response that we've been able to do with our customers and how, how customer-centric we are, once we got through sort of making sure our employees were safe, you know, the whole company had a mission of getting everyone transformed, right, to work from home, but that for our customers. And so we've been running on this incredible amount of adrenaline. And that adrenaline has really unified us as an organization. It's brought us closer together. We've got a window in, into each other's lives that we might not have got in this way. But at the same time, that adrenaline is really draining. Can at some point plateau and then you step back and you're like, wow, a lot of the things that I needed in the way that I work have suddenly gone away. How do I replace them? How does that look? And so what I think about right now is that it's too binary to just say, yeah, it worked and that we should all work from home. But at the same time, I think that it has opened my eyes as a leader that we really can change and transform the way that we think about virtually working. I think ultimately we will see a shift, but it's going to have to come along with how do we adapt the culture? How do we make sure we keep that local capability? And how do we kind of then turn that into something that makes an incredible workplace for everyone with flexibility and getting those cultural connections? And I just share with you, like a lot of this happened, you know, you read about it sort of 
the first thing we did is we all connected and we did Zoom happy hours or Zoom get togethers. But I think that only lasts so long. And now it's really about, no, if we can't get together, what is it that was so important about physical connections and those type of downtime environments, you know, offsites. So capturing the best of that, but capturing also the best of the flexibility that work from home has brought for many of us. So you've mentioned going remote. We've learned a lot more about our coworkers, whether it's the environment they're in, whether we have the dog running in. Sometimes you hear my dog (laughs) talking that he's hungry, that needs to be fed, or you see somebody's child walk in. And I'm wondering, those are things that help us connect a little bit more to our coworkers, understand where they're coming from, which hopefully when we're interacting with them, we're, we're able to kind of understand, you know, maybe that's why they're frustrated because they just had to deal with having an hour and a half homeschooling <laughs> with their kid. And now they have to go on this eternity long Zoom call or whatever it might be. But there are all these nuanced things that create culture as well too. And I'm wondering how that changes when we are in a remote situation. And then as things start to open back up, how do we recreate that culture? Or is it one of those things where we say, let's build a new type of culture? I do think one of the huge benefits, as you mentioned, Mari, has been for better or worse in this new world, we've had a more insight and window into people's lives. And You know, when you step back, we all know this inherently, but sometimes we forget in a work environment that everyone has things going on in their life. They're complicated. People are juggling all sorts of things, whether it's family or friends or or situations. And for sure has given us a window, you know, into, into what's really happening in someone's life to some degree, you know, whether it's like you mentioned, I didn't know you had a pet. Now I do, you know, I mean, that's something worth knowing because I have a pet and maybe we have something more in common that we can use as a bonding moment when we're having a difficult time in the decision-making process. And, you know, this is sort of, it's really how the world works. The more we know about each other, we understand that maybe you're just having a tough day or maybe, you know, you just really have a, a difficult issue to deal with and didn't get expressed well that day or whatever. So I think that is the benefit of it. But to your point, I think it's very nuanced because there are magical things that we took for granted that happened in other interactions. I, I have to say, and I mentioned this, you know, perhaps in a previous question, but I had a leadership offsite of my own team in very early January, and we put a lot of the sort of things and initiatives that we wanted to do for this year. And I really am, again, cherishing that moment that we had that time because it was a way for us to get to know each other, which is, it can be done, but I think it's a little bit harder in the current work from home environment. So the thing that I've actually been impressing on my leadership team is don't underestimate how important that is back to kind of replenishing that culture bank that I talked about and find different ways of doing that. You know, and again, it isn't just, well, we don't talk about work. I think it's like finding those connection points that people need. And so I think we won't go back to the same way. It will be different, but I think it's incremental. We're going to learn some things that work well, some things that don't work so well. It's going to be hard, I think, for us as a company to just say, hey, here's the new employee handbook. These are the five things you should do. Oh, by the way, get up and go and exercise and, you know, make sure you eat plenty of meals and so on. I think it's going to be much more subtle. But what I like about it is I'm encouraging the leadership team to experiment, experiment in different ways. You know, one example, uh, Olivier, for example, he has sort of an open door Zoom, you know, and anyone can come in and out of that. But what he told me about is it worked well. And then it sort of dipped. So what we've got to find is sustainable differences, not sort of novelties. 
it's back to the point about the kind of get together at the end of the day with your friends. It's that was great, but like, what's the connective tissue that really makes them stick? You know, some some people I've heard are working on projects, collaborating on things they would never have done, like with their college friends. Some people are just saying, hey, I'm going to play some online game or whatever it is that creates that connective tissue. And I think one of the reasons this is starting to manifest as the, as the, the next iteration of, of normal is that that is what culture is about, right? Is finding the ties that bind you to the mission and then operating effectively with those ties that bind you. Sometimes they're just results. We've got to deliver X, Y, Z KPIs, but sometimes they're much more soft and nuanced, as you mentioned, you know, and, and figuring out what makes that tick for one group may be slightly different to another. I think one thing that is interesting in, in this change of work, there's been a lot of studies done. You know, we went from sort of offices to cubes to open plans. If you're in the agile development, there was a certain way of doing stand-ups and so on. We have to face the fact that it won't be the same logistically going forward. What I think about a lot is what was it about those transformations that drove you there? And what were the good parts? And what were some of the bad parts about it? And then capturing the good and sharing them as best practice around the company. And that's the stage we're going to be in. But I, I know for sure that it will never be the same. But I'm not sure that we know what it will be like just yet. And I think it will be a bit of an iterative process for us as a company. I know a lot of people have taken to different kinds of crafts or exercise or yeah. any other uh, way of kind of coping with this situation right now. My wife and I adopted a puppy right before all of this hit. And it's so strange how therapeutic it is for me once all of the zoom calls are done for the day and everything's done i take my little dog for a walk it's just me and him and it is so mind clearing and it's re-energizing and it's relaxing and i'm wondering tony if you have anything that you have taken up during this time to uh to relax you and to to take a little bit of that pressure off yourself it's an interesting thing uh, i used to love to paint you know just been so busy i haven't done it and i've returned to that just very recently and, and look it's definitely peaceful and a, a zen place it's a place where you sort of have to concentrate on craft as you mentioned and that's been very good for me the thing i think about though nate is why wasn't that more of a constant in the pre-covid time and i think you hear this from a lot of people which is like at the end of the day we all need balance in our life no matter where you are in your life journey you're always trying to figure out what those those things are and I, I sort of, my regret is, look, I know that this is something that made me feel calmer, more balanced, but I let it go. And so the most important takeaway through this is how do we have enough time in our lives to think about those things? Like what I would say to you, Nate, is you probably should have got that puppy a while ago, you know, and, and you, you hear this story all around the world about, you know, like all the, the animal shelters are empty now. So what it triggered in me, and I think triggers in me as a leader for the company is, how do we stimulate people to think this way outside of crisis? I'll share a story that, you know, I'm very close with a group of friends who are in my YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. And, and we have a, it's called a forum and there's 10 of us, you know, and as we've evolved in our lives and our career, we've stayed in contact. We found it very hard um, to keep a schedule going because we always wanted to meet physically. And now all of a sudden we meet every two weeks. We share what's going on in each other's lives. You know, some of these are other CEOs and they'd be great partners for me. 
you know, what they're dealing with. But why did it take this for us to get on that rhythm and cadence? And then secondarily to the point, as we do come back to some kind of new normal, whatever that is, how do I make sure that I keep that as an important part of my life? So I think as a company, we really should not only encourage that, finding that passion and that thing that gives you balance or keeps you grounded, whether it's meditation, yoga, whatever it is for you individually, art, music, how do we make sure that we provide space and room for that to keep going in your life? It's a wake up call for all of us that life is precious and there's so many great things um, that we can focus on, but work can consume us. And in a way it is consuming us, but in an opposite way, it is allowing us to tap into some other things. I hope as we go through this and as a leader that, you know, and it's, a, it's something that I have to help promote um, within my team that we all find those balances. We talked to a culture design strategist not too long ago, and he really emphasized the importance of being present and also being intentional. How do you do that personally? And then how do you see companies being able to instill that for their employees? As a CEO, you know, often you're, you're back to back to back to back to back. And the idea of being present is challenging because the ultimate way to, I think, be present is to sort of almost empty your mind of all the distractions around you. Again, just to refer to my YPO forum, one of the rules that we have is that there's no phones, no outside distractions. And we have a practice of meditation because it just, it slows down the cycles in your brain that are distracted. Now, in reality, that's very hard to do on a constant basis. So it's not like I could start every meeting and say, let's meditate. But that's sort of the way I try to think about it, which is how do you immediately context switch and know that what the most important thing you can do right now is be present for that interaction and not be too distracted realizing that there are going to be distractions interruptions to your other point though about intention is know that there's an outcome that people are looking for and frame that up front you know I, with my leadership team i'm using a very simple framework of whenever we talk about any topic there's really three things you're doing it could be an information update, just pure inform. You're looking to exchange ideas or you're looking for a decision. Now, all too often, what we do is we just sort of present or we just jump into a meeting without really framing it. Uh, and I think that can be helpful in this, this notion. I do see it as challenging in the environment we're in today to stay present. You know, it is challenging to be constantly on through Zoom or whatever your favorite collaboration video tool is. But I think it's probably the most important thing we can do as leaders because everyone wants to be heard and then everyone wants to know that they had a voice right now. So I think that's the way I think about it and try to emulate that. I think it's a time from the top issue candidly. And you know, if I am not present, I can't expect my leadership team to be present and so on and so forth. But you have to work at it every day and check yourself you know and create an environment of trust where someone could say even to me hey tony look you you just went all in there you weren't really fully in the conversation and it's okay if i come back and say well you know that i had this fire going on here and so on but having pe people that can believe that they have that circle of trust i think also goes along with presence 
I know you're a father and I'm wondering what your perspective is on, you know, how your kids are doing. And I think about what an odd, odd time this would be to be graduating high school or graduating fifth grade. Uh, it's It's got to be really, really strange. I'm wondering how you're doing as a father, how you see your kids working through this situation and how do you think their experience will change when things get back to a kind of normal. Yeah, I think it's incredibly tough for kids and children. I think that the unsaid part of school, it's not just about learning, it's really about the social interaction, right? That's throughout all, all aspects, even in college and so on. It's all about that. It's not just about the educational side. It's about how you learn and adapt in a social setting. How do you develop your social emotional learning muscles? And uh, that's all gone away for them. And I think it's, it's tremendously tough. What I try and do, at least with our children, is that they have balance and they're grateful. You know, many people are in a much more difficult situations. So that helps kind of keep it a bit balanced. But I think it's really, really hard. I think the, the good news is they're very technology savvy, right? The new generation. So they could adapt quickly. But the bad news is that we may lose more of the things that made being a child great. <laughs> the, the ability to play, the ability to do things sort of without the cares of the world uh, on, on them, you know. So as much as we don't articulate it this way, that they can feel it, they know what's going on. So it's forever changed for them. And I think, again, it kind of talks to what we talked about earlier, Nate, like a lot of kids are doing quite well at school. They, you know, it's not like it's changed sort of their, where they are in, in, in learning, but at what cost? So I hope that we get back to a lot of those things that really made, you know, well, I look back as, as a, for myself, you know, whether it was playing sports, whether it was being in the choir, for example, in drama, whatever it is, those things have just, yes, we have virtual and people doing, you know, doing incredibly creative things, but they, they've gone away. So I, I think it's really important that back to the nuance that we, we try and preserve some of those moments. Now we will get back, I think, to a different normal. We won't all be in sheltering in place in homes. And as we mentioned earlier, a lot of folks are already back, but it, it's really important that we don't lose those elements of what makes the childhood experience great. Earlier, you talked about the need to be adaptable and flexible. As we're looking into the future, is that going to be more of the norm rather than out of the norm way of thinking? Because I think before everybody was like status quo, right? So as we're going into the future, how important is adaptability and flexibility? Hugely important. You know, although I would say that it's always been hugely important. I mean, if you think about so the evolution of companies, especially in the technology area, that catches people out or companies out is sort of these blind spots. You know, you get a little bit uh, complacent. You know, we, we're, we're living in a world of huge exponential technologies that, that transform whole industries. Um, there's so many stories of companies that were on top of their game and then got sort of comfortable and weren't agile and flexible around sort of thinking about disruption so I think that theme's always been there. I think this one just really brings it home because it changed some fundamentals that people took for granted, back to what we talked a lot about, the way people work, the way people live, the way people play, the way people learn. So it's really at the fundamental construct of sort of the underpinnings of the foundation that we felt of how businesses work. But I think it's how do we encourage everyone to stay current, current in technology, current in change, in culture, in society, in current in you know what's happening in industry that ability to be agile and flexible but maintain your kind of values is, is probably the 
certainly something that I try and strive to, but seek every day. And I think it's probably the ultimate challenge for all CEOs out there across every part of an industry is being balanced about it, but, but being flexible enough and agile. And it's never been more important now. I remember when I was first hired on at Genesis a couple of years back, my then boss said, are you going, I was living in Florida at the time. And she said, are you going to stay living in Florida? And I said, no, I'd really like to move to North Carolina because I knew that's where one of the Genesis offices was. And I knew that I needed that kind of interaction and collaboration. I just knew that I, I needed to be in person. And I've found that that has been more energizing to me than I even thought it was. At the same time, Genesis being a global company, I now understand a lot of my colleagues who work remotely all the time from and, and don't have the luxury to go in and interact with their, with their colleagues. I was in a situation where I had to go back into the Genesis office here in Raleigh to do some work that we had to get done. And there was a small, small, small group of us. We maintained social distancing. We were all wearing masks and keeping our hands washed and sanitized. But as soon as we were back in that collaboration space together, I was sort of just re-energized all over again. And I thought, man, I cannot wait to get back to work like this. I can't wait. And I'm wondering what you're looking forward to most when it comes to Genesis after this uh, kind of situation has resolved? Well, I think you just hit it really on the head, which is, that's what I can't wait for. I don't know how to manifest, by the way, for everyone. What you just talked about, the way you expressed it, wasn't really about the physical environment, it was about the energy. And for you, that energy was driven by the environment, but maybe it was driven by the projects you were and that you were in close proximity to those six or seven people. The way I think about it is that that's what really matters is how do we capture that and just realize that it's going to be different for different people. Now, the hard bit is figuring that out. We know that we probably won't be able to go back to the same kind of layouts in some of our larger buildings and so on. I at least think that if we know it's going to change. Then what is it that really gave you that energy? Was it the environment or was it the people that you were around and what you were working on? So I think that. To me, that's the more important thing. And as you mentioned, many people are very comfortable working remotely. We've been very virtual uh, and they've, they've built that practice maybe over many years. My, my view on this is, again, very balanced, which is we've got to tap into that for each individual. We've got to be more flexible. We've got to give people some certainty as they plan through this. And we I've tried to do that as best we can with what we know in terms of data. But finding that equilibrium is really the thing that's going to matter the most. I'm not sure it's sort of opt-in, opt-out thing, though, because I think that, you know, there is something around critical mass that drives a certain type of energy. And then there is something about, hey, no, we're going to be distributed for this function that drives a different type of energy. So I, I just envision it being a hybrid of kind of what we had before with more of a lean in to work from home, candidly. I think more around flexibility in, in that decision, a little bit empowered by the individual employee, but more empowered by the kind of subculture that you want to create, um, whether you're in marketing or in R&D, et cetera. Tony, I know we are out of time. We have really, really appreciated you taking a moment with us. And also, I think I speak for 
Mari and the rest of the Genesis organization, we really appreciate your leadership through this really difficult time. We appreciate the information that you continue to provide us and your clarity, your calm, and your empathy do not go unnoticed. So thanks very much, Tony. We appreciate it. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Mari. But really, thank you, everyone at Genesis. You know, it's really about the whole team and we really have come together as one. And again, maybe to end where we started, which is, you know, hope you all safe and well. And I'm thinking about all of you each and every day. Thank you, Tony. Have a great rest of your day. And thank you to all of our listeners for taking a moment with us.